So I want to start off telling you a story about a nine-year-old boy named Michael. Michael had what they call attention deficit disorder. Uh, he was a, I don't know if he was classified as a problem child, but he had, he had certain things. He was a good kid. Uh, his parents got divorced, and Michael was searching for some answers. Michael was trying to figure it all out. And he met a coach. The coach's name was Bob. The coach's name was Bob Bowman. And Bob Bowman taught swimming. This was in the Baltimore area years ago. Fourteen years later, after forging a, a very intense relationship, Bob Bowman and a little-known swimmer prior to this, but a well-known swimmer now by the name of Michael Phelps, got together and they forged a friendship. And in some ways it was a, at times, a love-hate relationship. But the one thing that they all agreed, even his divorced parents, was this, that Michael has a talent, Michael has a gift, Michael has a desire to be the best in the world at swimming. And so a decision was made when he linked up, when he got together with this coach, a decision was made that we're going to go for it and we're going to do whatever it takes to make him the best he can be. I think he did pretty good. He got 14 gold medals, eight in the last Olympics, and the kid is only 25 years old. Bob Bowman, essentially, when he began to talk about Michael, the pushback that he would get, and then, and then Michael would talk about, he would call him a drill sergeant, and, and over time, they both admitted. What I found fascinating was, is that Bob Bowman admitted he made mistakes coaching Michael. The second thing that I noticed was that, that Michael was willing to go all the way with his coach, even when he didn't feel like it. How many of you understand that we need coaches? Even when you don't feel like it. And I began to see a spiritual principle here. Because on the one hand, we will drive 5,000 miles to put four or five of our kids in soccer events, in all kinds of strategic activities with the simple design to put them and make them the best they can be. But we will balk at going to church once a week or balk at taking our kids to youth group. This is good preaching. Now, before I get off my high horse, giddy up, before I get off my high horse, let me say this. The Lord spoke to me this morning. We don't have 5,000 youth in here right now. What the Lord spoke to me driving on the way to this was, he said, Ryan, you get up there and you preach as if 5,000 kids were standing right before you and you speak directly to them, you speak directly to the culture, you speak directly to the parents, and let me take care of disseminating the message. So we do have a podcast, and if you have friends who are youth, if you're a youth, or you're a parent of a youth, or you're a grandparent of a youth, hey, let's face it, we all have connections to youth. Let's get this message out there. Now, my job is to preach it as God put it on my heart to preach it, but I'm going to tell you this is a message that our generation needs to hear because our generation needs coaching. But they don't want to invest the time, the commitment, because they don't always feel like it. If you want to excel in anything in life, how many understand we need mentors? It is absolutely essential. And what has happened is it's, there's a disconnect here. Because on the one hand, 
parents are doing, most of them, the absolute best they can. My parents did. I came from a divorced home, but I can tell you the heart of both of my parents was to see me achieve and win. When I became a drunk and started blaming them for all of my problems, I got nowhere. When I began to accept the fact that my parents are flawed human beings just like me, and I realized that I can't make them my excuse anymore, I changed. And you know what's cool is that God sent coaches along the way to reinforce the right choice. This is absolutely the truth to changing your life. The, 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 the two parts to this is, number one, the master will always show up when the pupil is ready. Always. Because God, as your heavenly father, cares. But if you don't take the first step of faith, you won't receive all that he has for you. But again, we, our culture, man, we're sports this, sports that. I'm into it. I like it. But our spiritual life is essential for balance and godly living in every area. If you're a great athlete, you'll be better if you know Jesus. You may have physical giftings, but here's what I found. Statistics will bear this out. NFL athletes, within five years of earning the big dollars, go bankrupt. Why? Because many of them, they had coaches for their professional life, but did not have good mentors for their spiritual life. And they don't set good boundaries. They don't learn how to say no to the voice vultures and the robbers and the things that want to take their time, their talents, and their money. How many understand we have a devil out there who wants to kill you, to destroy you, to take and rob and steal from you, to take your gifts, your unique gifts, and turn it against you? The role of the church is to equip you, young ones, to equip you, parents, to win. But we have to understand that we need coaching. So the key ingredients that I saw in that video, which we didn't see, but I wanted to share with you, was commitment, coachability, and partnership. I did a survey. I went to the mall, and I walked up to, looked to be, at the time, was a teenager. I found out she was 19 years old, and I was buying a, a product there, and I asked, I asked, a, I got into this conversation, and they said, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. And so we got into this conversation, and I asked her, I said, let me ask you a question. When you were growing up, your parents when your parents would tell you to do something, or maybe let's say they reinforced a good thing, like, you know what, it's good to give. Or maybe, maybe you know what, you shouldn't do that. Wh who were you more apt to listen to? Were you more apt to listen to your parents, or were you apt to listen to an outside voice? What do you think she told me? You know, most, I've done some informal surveys, here's the problem. If culture at large does not line up with your parents' voice, what happens? We have a disconnect, right? There's two messages here. One of them's right, one of them's wrong. Here's the problem. How many understand our culture is sending a lot of wrong messages to you and our kids? So I asked her, I said, what if what they were saying was absolutely right? Absolutely right. Would you still listen to them? Not unless my friend or my coach or my mentor would reinforce it. Here's what I found. And actually, the surveys show it. And if you look at large, our society needs to see this. We need another voice in our lives outside of our parents. If you're 50 years old, you're 80 years old, you're 10 years old, you need someone reinforcing what the Bible says about your life. And if you don't have that, culture will dominate your destiny. This culture is tough 
But what I found interesting is, is that when we, when we take a stand for God, he will send coaches. You know, it's tough when you're a swimmer. I'm sure Michael Phelps had many, many days where he didn't want to show up. And, you know, swimming against currents wasn't always easy, too. I think he probably trained in rivers to help build up. You know, when you're going against the current, it's not always easy. But here's the end result. Did you like the end result, Michael Phelps? And that's what I, that is the vision of the church. We are not supposed to be the tail that wags the dog. We are supposed to be the head over the tail. And how do we do that, Lord? Because I look at our youth culture and I look at the stats and I go, wow, 80% abandoning their faith when they go into college? Houston, we have a problem. What gives? This is not a message to bash parentings. There are many, many people who are single moms, single dads, on the wall, fighting it out for their kids every day. This is not a bash your parents message. This is... It takes a tribe to build people. Why is church important? Because you need another voice. You need a voice that will challenge you and equip you. But making a decision, that's, that's the key uh, that I want you to get out of this today. I give you the mall story. We need another voice. When I talk about the word think orange, you've heard us, we preached this last, I want to say last October. What is orange? Orange, if we're the church, if we're the church and the church is the color red, okay, and you are the color yellow, okay? If you mix the two in a partnership, you get orange. Here's the, here's the reality. You have 3,000 hours in your kids' lives per year. We have 40 hours. If you do the math, it makes more sense to equip the parents, okay, and build a team approach to help you disciple your kids, and then we can be a voice and a coach to your kids. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, here's what happens. If you notice, even in a divorced family, Michael Phelps' mom and dad both were committed to achieving the goal, which is to build their kid in swimming. Folks, we've got to do that with our kids' spiritual life. It's, if you look at the culture out there, it's tough. What they're facing in school, as bad as it was for me, the drugs, the dope, the sex, the everything else, it's going to be 10 times worse. How do I know that? Because if we don't take a stand, the Bible shows the generation that follows, if they don't correct the previous errors, gets worse and worse, and worse. Now, I'm not saying let's all be doom and gloom. What I'm here today is that I believe God has given our churches a vision to correct this wrong. And I believe we have that. And, I, and God gave me a blueprint in Scripture, I believe, that shows exactly what we can learn from the Scripture to apply today. Uh, Daniel was a, an agent of change. How many of you know who Daniel is? Okay, well, what's interesting, too, is, and, and this isn't to make anybody feel bad or anything like that, but if you go and poll a kid who's never been churched and you ask them, who's David, they won't know who he is, a lot of them. Who's Samson? Not a clue. Who's Moses? Is he the guy in the Ten Commandments? They might know Jesus, but isn't he just a prophet? Is he really Lord? Who is he? Now, you think, man, that sounds foreign to me. For those of you who've been churched your whole life, that doesn't make sense to you. But I'm telling you, outside of the four walls, which is a target audience for us, they don't know this. And they don't know how to experience God. And that's, that's part of the key that I believe as I share with you about Catalyst and what we want to do back in the youth group. I'm going to have Pastor Lori come up and share five minutes about the vision. You're going you're gonna to hear the vision. You're going to see the strategy and see how our kids will be the change. Now, I'm not going to create automatons. We're not going to do that. We're not going to create 
people that are, that are uh, super religious and oppressive. We need to build champions who do make mistakes, but when they do, they admit them and they get right with God and they make a difference in the world around them. And you know, it's funny, as I was preaching this on youth, the Lord was saying, just remind them, put the bug in the people's ear that everything that you're saying about the youth, you're also saying to them. Hello? Every single one of you can take something out of this message because it applies to you. Because peer pressure, oh, do I, do I smoke that bong? Do I take the corporate dollars? The pressure is always there, folks. Whether you're 15 or 50, whether you're dealing with a boss who's unethical, or you're dealing with the most popular guy in town who's belittling you every day, we face these challenges. Can I get an amen? Okay, this is a little bit serious, but it's important. 1 Samuel 16. I want to talk about David. Actually, before we go to 1 Samuel 16, I want to get back to Daniel. So Daniel was what I would call an agent of change. He was probably between 14 and 16 years of age, Bible scholars would estimate. This was about 1,000 years after Moses. So Moses came on the scene, the children of Israel. Now the children of Israel are in captivity. Their culture has gone to, you know what, in a handbasket. Everything is bad. They're in, they're in captivity. But he was a kid that stood for what was right. And he became an, a catalyst for change. Catalyst means be change. It's a change word. He became that. He became one of the most popular and most respected individuals in that kingdom. And he was a slave. And what I noticed about Daniel was he's a thousand years removed. And what he didn't do was say, can we really say that God had Adam and Eve? Was it? Was Adam and Eve really there? Was the earth really created in six days? Did God really say that the Israelites really came through the Red Sea? See, we have these same questions today, folks. Did God really create the world in six days in our culture? Daniel faced the same doubts in the same culture that was trying to uh, take God out of the equation. Are you getting this? A thousand years had passed. And so... A lot can happen in a thousand years. The enemy can come in and create doubt over a thousand years. Do you not see that that's the same thing he's doing today? So Daniel faced what kids face today. And what's interesting is this kid was treated as an adult. I was a youth pastor. My first two, I've been on the job here two years. My first six months, I was a youth pastor. And I don't know if I sucked or what, but I do know that I did invest in some of those kids' lives and their lives changed. And for some weird reason, they showed up. They'd show up on Wednesday night. We didn't have a lot of special gizmos. I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but I told them that God loved them. And I gave them this other, this other illustration. I just said, yeah, when we're in here, I am going to treat you as if you are an adult you will rise to the level of my expectation. Do you know that they want that? Kids love that. They love a challenge. And let's not neuter them. Let's, let's give them an opportunity to face the giants. Because I'll tell you, as you're going to read about King David, that guy was a boy. He was between the age of 16 and 20, and he knocked down Goliath. Moms, you can't protect your babies. They've got to get in the fight. This culture is out to destroy them. So let's let them fight. But let's let, what, what is interesting about David is he was equipped to fight the battle. So I want to I take you to that one. So these are just some of the guys in the Bible that were younger that got in the game. 1 Samuel 16, starting with verse 6. Now Samuel was a prophet in the Old Testament. Samuel had to anoint a new king because Saul was a corrupt dude. He, uh, he did everything wrong. 
Uh, and God said, enough. I'm going to have a new king who will follow my heart. So 1 Samuel 16, verse 6, reading out of the message, it says, when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab. Now, at this point, Samuel is looking for some of the sons of the guy named Jesse. Jesse had eight sons. Keep that in mind. Jesse, one of Jesse's sons is going to be anointed king. Verse 6, when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, the first son, and thought, here he is, God's anointed. But God told Samuel, looks aren't everything. Don't be impressed with his looks and stature. I've already eliminated him. God judges persons differently than humans do. Men and women look at the face. God looks into the heart. Does that ring a bell for today's culture? Jesse then uh, called up to Abinadab and presented him to Samuel. Samuel said, this man isn't God's choice either. Next, Jesse presented Shammah. Samuel said, no, this man isn't either. Jesse presented his seven sons to Samuel. Samuel was blunt with Jesse. God hasn't chosen any of these. Now stop right there. It said that he presented his seven sons to Samuel. The fact is, though, he had eight. What a slight. (laughs) Seven sons, where's the eighth? Here we go. Keep reading. Then he asked Jesse, is this it? Are there no more sons? Well, yes, there's the runt. He's out tending sheep. Oh, I could preach for hours on this one. The runt. Rejection is an insidious, terrible life commandment that if you don't deal with, it will destroy your life. That is one you have to give to Jesus. Imagine if David in that moment said, wow, my dad thinks I'm a runt. Imagine if you heard your dad talk that way. Imagine if your dad thought so little of you that he didn't even line you up for the potential anointing. And you know what? Here's what's interesting. Watch what David does. So Samuel ordered Jesse, go get him. We're not moving from this spot until he's here. Jesse sent for him. He was brought in, the very picture of health, bright-eyed, good-looking, and God said, up on your feet, anoint him. This is the one. Verse 13, Samuel took his flask of oil and anointed him with his brother standing around watching. Can you imagine David? (laughs) I've been out slaving, knocking off bears, dealing with the sheep poop. Hello? I've been paying my dues for years. I mean, imagine in that moment, he's standing up. He probably, he strutted a little bit probably. He's, I'll stand up here. Bring it. Okay, but you know, the thing is, it's interesting that David's heart immediately after being anointed was, here's a problem. His name is Goliath. How can I slay him? Because now I'm anointed. Now I need to go do something. He didn't go back to, you know, his old way of doing things. And well, I'm bitter at dad because dad, you know, rejected me. And well... He didn't think much of me and my brothers, they don't like me. And are you guys getting this? Excuses are the nails put in the coffin of failure. I'll let that one matriculate a little bit. Let it marinate. David didn't do that. He could have bad-mouthed his daddy, could have gone on and on. He didn't do that. Key point, he could have let his circumstances defeat him. What I also want you to see, though, is daddy let him get involved with the army of Israel, and then he slayed Goliath. Are you getting this? 
You've got to let your kids get in the fight. Now, what's interesting is, as we see throughout the life of David, even though daddy wasn't necessarily the central figure anymore, he had godly voices speaking into his life when he made key choices. How do I know this? The Bible talks about the prophet Samuel. Samuel was a key voice. David, don't do that. That'd be a good idea, David. He was a man of God. Nathan, when David committed adultery, Nathan said to him, not a good idea, buddy. And he repented. He had Jonathan, who was a friend of his, who was King Saul's son. They forged a relationship. Another voice saying, David, you're on the right track. Are you getting this in scripture? What I see out of this is very clear, is that positive people surrounding you who have godly principles, who know Jesus, will help you slay Goliath and run your life in an effective manner. The problem we have is when we make excuses based on our past or... Because I'm going to tell you, life's tough. We need a game plan and a strategy. And God wants us to get engaged in the local church, engaged in youth groups, engaged with people that will call us out on our stuff. And pastors have stuff. You have stuff, right? But it's risky because... I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want to get involved in that. And the culture is really bad. And I just want to put my head in the sand and, you know, just show up and, and maybe I'll exist and I'll just deal with me, myself, and I. Here's the thing, though. The youth of this generation, I know it's in them. I see it. And I'm praying that this podcast gets disseminated to every kid I can find. You are designed with purpose. You have passion that God put in you uniquely. It's time to strip off the the robe of apathy, throw that sucker down and say, I will not do this again anymore. I'm tired of the drugs. I'm tired of this illicit sex. I'm tired of the pornography. I will make a difference because I have people who care about me because my daddy in heaven cares about me. Amen? This is the truth. There I go, ruining my coat again. It's been habit forming. I've been throwing, you know what? I'm just going to untuck my shirt. I'm preaching to youth. This is going to 5,000 youth. Podcast, they can't see it, but you see it. Untuck shirt, we're at a youth conference. Hallelujah. Light a fire, come on. A little hallelujah and shouting would be great too. Joe, sorry about that. I'll put that right there. All right. So King David surrounded himself with good people. Now, what's interesting is, let's fast forward. David's learned all these lessons. This is parents where you come in. David knew about his father, had to have felt his rejection. So wouldn't it make sense to learn from his parents' mistakes? Right? You know, David was perhaps one of the worst fathers in the history of the Bible. And he didn't learn a thing from his parents' mistakes. How do I know that? He was too busy for his family. He wasn't involved in his children's lives. He didn't discipline them. And I'm going to show you how in Scripture. He was so busy uh, conquering armies and, 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 and looking at other women when he shouldn't. And he got off track and he stopped when he could have been coached in this area. He cut that off. And here's what's interesting. If you read in the Scripture, one by one, his kids hit the ditch. Now watch in 2 Samuel verse 13. 2 Samuel verse 13, Amnon, his firstborn, had raped his sister. And then it says in 2 Samuel 13 verse 21, King David heard the whole story and was enraged, but he didn't do what? Discipline Amnon. 
Okay, so then Absalom, his other brother, comes up. He kills Amnon and watch what happens in 1 Kings 5, verse 5 and 6. 1 Kings 1, verse 5 and 6. Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, puffed himself up saying, I'm the next king, made quite a splash with chariots and riders and 50 men to run ahead of him. His father had done what? Spoiled him rotten as a child, never once doing what? Reprimanding him. So we have Amnon who rapes Tamar, uh, uh, David does nothing to him. He gets mad, nothing. Uh, Absalom tries to take his throne. David grieves over it, but really never dealt with the core issue, which was rejection. Then we go to Adonijah, and even Solomon, for Pete's sake. He was a terrible... Do you realize that David had 20... I'm not kidding you, 20... What am I going to say? What did he have 20 of? <laughs> he had 20 kids. He had eight wives and a number of concubines. Now, I mean, I have problems with just one wife. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, boy. She's right there, and, you know, we'll just erase that, right, Hope? We'll just pull that one right off the, uh, the podcast. Anyway, uh, so... <laughs> So, uh, digress. Anyway, so David has had, uh, you know, he's, you know, done his thing there. And so now you have these kids who are all looking to dad and they didn't have their dad. Now, what's interesting, Solomon had probably some of the same issues. His mom and, you know, and David, uh, they got together under the wrong circumstances. Solomon made a lot of great choices, but even him, there were some curses that followed him because he didn't learn from his daddy's mistakes. He also had a lot of women, and he also had a lot of problems with those women. But Solomon was at least wise enough, and God gave him wisdom in many things. And one of the things that, that Solomon writes about, you can read it in his Proverbs. He wrote the book of Proverbs, most of them. And uh, in those Proverbs, uh, he says, you know, wisdom in a multitude of counselors. You know, the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, which many scholars believe that he wrote, he says, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. So I got to think, if the church is here and the parents are here and the kids here, if we all partner together, what could we do? Now, kids today in youth groups love the number one thing I would ask most kids. What do you like to do? You know what their answer would be? I like to hang out. I like to hang out true you know but at the end of the day if our youth groups are just another thing on the agenda and not prioritized if our times together are just that's another thing like ice cream that we'll do on wednesday and then on thursday if we view it that way guess what it gets lost in the busyness of life but if we viewed it as this is life-changing, and this church wants to partner with me and equip me to help my kid make wise choices, and I'm investing in that, investing my time in that, you've done what David didn't do. Are you guys getting this? Investing in our kids, investing in them. You say, well, Ryan, I've had, I've had some issues. You know, my, my kids are long gone. How does that apply? It matters because for every kid out there, is a generation that's growing up and they will be leading the country very soon. Are you guys getting that? I asked Joe Simon to give me some statistics on uh, this generation. And 
I believe Joe is at 81 million kids from the age of 20 to 31 right now, the largest ever in history in that little segment group. And let me tell you, they're creating Facebooks. They're under the age of 30. They're creating brands. These people will be running the world very quickly. Who do you want running the world? The kid who is groomed for greatness spiritually to become a gold medal champion in church? Or do you want the atheist running the show? Just a question. We spend so much time with apologetics. You know, a lot of times churches will say, well, we need to contend for their faith. But let's go back to David. What did he do? He faced the giants and he experienced God. See, God gave him a vision to destroy that giant. And he had the stones to to kill the giant. But what David had more than anything was a passion for God and to experience God. And here's the problem. Growing up, if you have a kid who learns about God but doesn't know God, when they face the giants, they're going to get beaten up because they didn't experience God. So when that kid is at the age of 11, 12, 13, 14, and they're learning about God, and wow, that's a great story about David. And when an when a atheist professor systematically says, did God really say that? Can we really say that? Was the earth really created by God? They need to be able to contend for their faith. But if we say the Bible's not true, but it's true here, then what we've taught our kids is to create a culture of doubt. So when they go to church or when they go to their atheist professor, the atheist professor will say to them, it doesn't doesn't compute. And so the the cross then becomes an Aesop's fable. Are you seeing this? It becomes an Aesop. Well, can we really say that? Do you know the devil's lie from the beginning is to systematically get you to doubt? Did God really say? Did God really say? that you shouldn't have sex outside of marriage. Did God really say? Did he? I mean, that's, that's what I'm saying. And when we look at the Word of God and the history of the Word of God, if Jesus and the resurrection, if we can't say that, we're in trouble, folks. What, what the world is doing is, is they're systematically trying to eliminate the truth of God's Word. And it's more than just here. You have to allow your kids to get in the fight. And parents, you have to get in the fight. So this preaches to everybody. It is not enough to show up on Sunday, hear a good word, or, you know, in my case today, and maybe I'm more of the hammer today. But, you know, to hear that and then just say, well, that, I'll just file that away in my compartment. No, it needs to be a cattle prod into us to say, wait a minute. God has great plans and purposes for our lives. This word of God is true. I'm going to prioritize kids. I'm going to prioritize the Lord. I'm going to experience life change. And I'm going to let people correct me. Because you know what? At the end of the day, even pastors always, always face this one test. We want to be our own gods. Well, I don't want to invest time in that. I've got soccer games to go to. I don't want to invest time in that. I've got a business to run. I don't want to invest time in that because I've got movies to watch. Places to go and people to see. You guys look really somber right now. I must be hitting a nerve. But my point is this, and and why I want kids to hear this, is that kids will not care how much you know parents unless they know how much you and others around them care. When they're smoking the bongs and they hear that voice from the youth group saying, you know what, I've been there and done that and I know where that road leads, that voice has ultimately five times more power than what you just told them. But you've reinforced what parents we've just told them. Does that make sense? So here they are. Picture the scene. 
Big party. They're all right there. Kids are going off doing things they shouldn't. They're right there. But they just came from their youth group on Sunday night. And I know that uh, this small group leader here, this small group leader there, they said to, the, to me that this time would come. And then they hear that in their ears. And they're in the fight. And Goliath's staring right there. And that young lady or that young man is right there in that party. And it's a moment of truth. What do you do? Whose voice do you want in that kid's ear? The voice of God can come through when we take a stand and we show and invest in kids. Kids like youth groups. They like, they like the lights. They like the sound. But that isn't going to make the difference when the rubber meets the road in that situation. What's going to make the difference is that investment of time in that kid when they're taking you places they won't tell their parents. Anybody in here, when they were growing up, not tell parents everything they thought or did? Anyone? Revelation, stone cold facts is that your kids will not tell you everything. Here's my, my point. I want to be the guy they're telling, not the guy out there who's going to encourage them to do the drugs. Hello. We've got to create environments. We've got to get back to the basics. We've got to invest in kids because they're hungry. But we can't say God loves you and has a plan for you and then sit them down on the sidelines and say, okay, we'll show up next week and we'll praise God again. No, they want to fight. You want to fight. You do. Whether you realize it or not, you want to say enough. I've had it. Let's change things. So the message for all of you is you are all catalysts of change. Pastor Lori, can you come up? Now that I've spit and frothed and sweated and thrown coats down and <laughs> preached and thrown my guts out there, I... Uh, I knew this was going to happen. My microphone... Oh, uh... I think we've got one right there. Come on up here, Pastor Lori. Um, she's going to share with you a little bit of the strategy of, uh, and I know we're, we're running out of time here, but I just, I wanted, you, I wanted to give her uh, the floor to kind of share with you the strategy of what this can look like. And she's going to do this tonight too, when the kids are here tonight at six o'clock. But we want to have this message out there. I, I'm praying that this podcast will go to unchurched kids who have no church home, that they will be loved on here. And she's going to share with you the strategy. I'm the only one who can do a microphone uh, rehearsal and still mess it up on the front row here. We had to do a whole run through and I'm like, where is it? Where is it? Um, Pastor Ryan asked me to talk about just a few minutes about pursuing um, strategic relationships for your kids. And I want to talk to you a moment about levers. Does anybody know what a lever is? It's something you use to raise or lift something that's too heavy for you, a burden um, to move it along, to move it forward. Um, the first lever is parents. There's three levers I want to talk to you about. As parents is the one that we use to um, enhance our emotional relationship with them. It's the one that we use in the car. We have those teachable moments. And if any of you have raised kids or you have little kids or older kids, some of the most teachable moments is driving them to a soccer game. And then you just talk to them about life. And then they're, they're going to spill their guts with, to you and, and they're going to say things to you. And, and you just use, using that time to invest with them. The second lever is the one that advances the relationship with God. And that's the, you as a parent is I think the most critical for you. It's, you're the only one who can monitor their heart. You're the only one who knows because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You're the only one who knows, oh, I think there's something going on in Billy Bob's life. You know, he's not quite as talkative as he used to be. There's just something going on. I don't see him maybe um, as excited about things, but you as the parent are the one who knows that. And what the most important thing as a parent, you're the one 
who gives them the first glimpse of our Heavenly Father. Mm-hmm. You're the one who shows them unconditional love, forgiveness. Those are the most important things. You know, when they mess up so huge and you're so emotional because you can't believe they did that, you're the one who says, okay, I understand. We're going to get through this. We're going to partner together. And I, and I don't like your decision. I, I don't like what this is, but I'm here and we're going to help you. I'm, I'm, we're going to move this forward and we're going to make this better. And then the third one is the one relationship that most experts believe is most important in teenagers' lives. And it's the lever that you use as a parent to connect them to another adult in their life, in their life, the one you trust. Families are messy. You know, we all have things in our family that you're like, oh, so-and-so knew, you know, like we yell a little bit in our family or, you know, I get upset and throw things or not that that happens in our family, but um, we, we have that. But wouldn't you want someone who you trust saying the same thing or knowing some of those things that you can just say, you know what, I don't know what to do with Billy Bob anymore. Jan asked me, she goes, uh, you going to get through the blonde one? I said, yes, I am. She goes, I'm going to help you with that one. Um, Abby's our just most energetic. Um, uh, she's, just, she's just so full of life. And um, she's watched me wa- uh, do life with all three of our kids. But she's alongside of me. She helped me a lot in life, just saying, you know what, I've had Brooke. I've had Chad. You know, we did, they did this. And she's helped me a ton in that with raising our kids. And I had that voice, a story for you. Um, and I'm going to use different names, and we'll call him, well, Billy Bob. Billy Bob goes to homecoming his freshman year. Goes, uh, she just went with a group of friends and um, goes to an after party afterwards. And this girl comes, and we'll call her Gertrude. And Gertrude, Gertrude's kind of a mess. Um, her dress is kind of all messy, and she's crying. And she says to him, and, and she knows Billy Bob from classes and kind of knows his reputation, and she just says, I've had sex for the very first time and I'm a mess. She goes, I don't know why I did it. She, he pressured me, and now he doesn't want anything to do with me. He just told me to go home. Your kids are going to talk to somebody, and who are they talking to? It's great that they have friends, but Billy Bob is trying to figure out life just as much as Gertrude is. Mm-hmm. So why not have that person in their life? And as parents, we're way too emotional sometimes. You know, I just know that because they'll come home and I'll say, you did what? You know, you have that other person in your life say, oh, we've been through that. This is just what you do. You just walk alongside, you know, and here's some things we can do to help you. As a parent, um, I would want, uh, in a youth group, I would want a safe environment. I would want meaningful dialogue with another um, trusted adult. Um, I would want to press out the Word of God. I'd want my kids to be pressing out life against the Word of God. And I want them to, to be able to go to a place to ask difficult questions. Mm-hmm. And that's the place we're creating in Catalyst. If you have a youth, if you know a youth anywhere, we'd like to see them there tonight, and we'd like to do life with them. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. So why youth, as I close, why youth, why, why? Because they matter and they matter now. They're not just next generation, they're a now generation. Kids, for the ones that are on the internet right now, when you hear this, I don't know who's going to hear it, but you're going to hear it. You need to understand that this church cares about you. They want you to win. 
we want to partner with you. We're doing our best, but you have to make a decision. We can't coddle you, caress you, make it happen for you. You have to own it yourself. You have to rise up and say, you know what? I'm going to be a David because I'm anointed because my daddy in heaven anointed me to go about doing good and destroying Goliaths. It is time, kids, to stop making excuses and beating the you-know-what out of your parents. Rise up and be the ones that God called you to be. And I'm believing for freedom 